welcome. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny perfectly orchestrated for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Holy Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are a part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. If you have been paying attention this morning, you have easily picked up on a thread from the Holy Spirit. And for me to put a little bit more gravity on that statement, I will tell you all week long and last night going to bed and this morning waking up at four o'clock and getting ready for y'all, I was completely convinced on what I was going to minister <laughs> until about 5.45. <laughs> and then as I was I make the I make the library my little temporary office every morning between 5 and when people, usually it's Pastor Craig shows up about 7.30. And that's me and Jesus time. I'm, I'm very purposeful about preparing myself to bring here whatever needs to be here. I do not ever want to make this mechanical. I always want to be very passionate, very intentional about seeking the heart of God, seeking the spirit of God so that we don't come in here and build my church. Worst church you'll ever go to is Steve's church. You want to go to Jesus' church. Way better. And so because I don't want you to go to that church, I'm very purposeful about not building that church. So I want to know what the Holy Spirit has to say. And I was totally convinced all week long and going to bed last night and waking up this morning exactly what God had to say. And then I wasn't. So we're going to do this, Divine Destiny, which I don't think I've ever done with our home church, but I get asked to minister on this literally around the world. People ask specifically for this messaging around the world. And sometimes when I minister, and I'm like, you know, I probably should tell our church. <laughs> and yeah, I, it'd be nice of me to do that. And so when I was contemplating whether this was really from the Holy Spirit, I, I drilled in on, on a verse, and I knew for sure that it was. And then apropos to the heart of God, Look what he did. The way the worship came together under this umbrella of purpose and destiny, what Miss Jess had to say, that was, if you miss what Miss Jess had to say, she's 12 years in and she struggled. She had a moment where she struggled. And, and I, I'm gonna reference that probably a little bit later. But this is a thread that has gone through already today, and I ain't even preached a minute. And so I want you to understand that the Holy Spirit has aligned for everything we're about to do here this morning, specifically in this messaging, that this isn't some random thing that, that came across the, the uh, target, the, the, what do you call, dart, dartboard of messages 
Like, I don't know how some people think preachers do it, but there are preachers that do that. They've got a dartboard of messages. They throw a dartboard like, all right, I'm going to minister on love. Good. I don't, we, I don't do that. There's no dartboard. I didn't have a list to choose from. I didn't flip a coin, scratch off a lottery ticket to figure out what to minister today. This came right out of the heart of God, and God very, very clearly affirmed that this is the direction that we need to go. And if there's one thing that I, if I was a genie in a bottle and you rubbed me and I popped out, before I said, hey, I'm going to grant you three wishes, I would say, please make your first wish this. And then I'd say, grant me the permission to wave my hand over you so that you would be in your divine destiny. And then really you wouldn't need the other two. If you were smack dab in the center of your divine destiny, uh, relationships, health, uh, finances, Whatever you got, all of that stuff literally just falls right into place. Right into place. And this is why so many people feel like a round peg in a square hole. Or they just go along to get along all of their life. Or they just check the box and do the stuff. They do what they're told, like little lemons, all lined up at the edge of the cliff, just waiting for their term to fall off into retirement and or death, whatever you want to call it. And that is not God's intention for your life. He built you exclusively and specifically to do a unique purpose on this earth, in this place, at this time. Only in the mind of God could he figure out how to make 8 billion people be in the right place at the right time to fulfill an exclusive and unique purpose to his calling for all of humanity. And if we were all doing it, Jesus would be back, we'd be remaking the garden, and we'd all be going on and, man, wait till you hear the angels praise and worship. You think this is good. Wait till you hear that. But because we're not, we're not. And if there's, if there's one thing that breaks my heart when I travel around the world and minister this message in many languages, at the end of this message, I will say, and I'm, so I'm giving you a preview, at the end of this message, I will say, raise your hand if you, are, if you know for a fact that you are not today in your divine destiny doing those things. And it is not uncommon to get 80% of a church, a Christian room, to raise their hand. And don't you know that breaks the heart? If it breaks my heart, it truly breaks the heart of God. All right, I better get into this because I'm about to preach it. And I don't want to preach it, I want to teach it. Pray for me. So this is living in divine destiny. Divine destiny is important in the terminology. This isn't destiny like the world has that has some kind of mysticness to it or you're sitting in a yoga position and you get slapped upside the head by some <clears throat> Middle Eastern God. This is the most high God, Jesus Christ, Yahweh our Lord, who created you. You're only created by one God. 
and he created you, he knows exactly what he put in you. He knows what he didn't put in you. A amen. Some of the folks that got stuff going on in your life that shouldn't be in your life. He knows what he put in you and he knows what he didn't put in you. And only he can develop both. And we've been going to college and we've been going to um, employers and we've been going to our own flesh and trying to figure out how to fill in all the gaps. And that's why any, many of you, even sitting in this room, many of you still have a hole on the inside and you just haven't filled it yet. Well, I don't know what fits in there. I'm here to tell you there's only one thing that fits on the inside of you and in the purpose of God and it's your divine destiny. And you can tell yourself and you can, you can beat yourself up and you can uh, self-help yourself with every book you can find and you can go to all of the, all of the speakers, the, the excitement speakers and you can pay them thousands of dollars to pump their excitement into your life but you will never be fulfilled ever until you're doing what you're created to do. And there, that is a... That is a unique pain of knowing that you're just doing. You're just doing. It, it's common in our society today, especially for guys. I don't, not so much for gals. You guys are weird. Guys are normal. And when we greet each other for the first time, you know, we're like, hey, I'm Steve. Hey, I'm Bob. What do you do? Do you hear it? What do you do? It's totally normal. We don't even care, we don't care if you're married. We don't care if you got kids. We don't care what you drive. Eventually we'll care. <laughs> but usually the first thing, what do you do? Why? Because we know that's us. What we do is who we are. Who we are is what we do. Gals are more like, oh, hey, where'd you get that hair? <laughs> because for gals, their hair is who they, no. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm treading gently. Back up a little bit, get behind this. And... And it used to kind of bug me because I'm like, hey, you know, somebody's more than that. But then I realized they're, they're really not. Not in their belief systems. Obviously, in the heart of God, in the eyes of God, you are much more than what you do for 40 hours a week, clocking in and clocking out. But you don't believe it. Because if you believed it, you wouldn't do it. You do what you believe. You can lie to me. You can lie to your neighbor. You can lie to your spouse. Well, I really don't want to do this stuff, but I just do it all the time. I really don't want to be an addict to the stuff, but, you know, I just can't wait to go buy some more. No, you want to do it. You do what you want to do. You might not like what you want. I'm, I'm okay with that. You might want to change your wants. I'm way okay with that. That's why we built the church. But you do what you want to do. So what you do is what you want. And what you want is exactly cohesive with what you believe you are. <coughs> so if you really want to know 
what you believe your identity is, you can look at what you do, which associates to what you want, because your wants come of what, out of what you believe, who you believe you are. Okay, thanks for those two amens. We'll do this, and then you don't look at me with that look that you're looking at me with. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 5, and this is in the ESV, says, The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water. And Proverbs is part of the wisdom books. And the wisdom books are, are incredible. I've actually told young people who are not, are not as, as rational, mentally capable, and logical as they should be. And I say, you spend six months in the wisdom books, and I will guarantee you your IQ will double. So if anybody in here, if you're struggling with you thinking that you're stupid, you spend some time in the wisdom books, and guess what will happen to you? Amen. Oh, my Lord. We all need to spend some time in the wisdom books. And the writer of the wisdom books was, these were oftentimes kings and royalty. Many of these proverbs are attributed to Solomon, who was wise in some areas and not so much in some other areas. And I think it's unique here that this is specifically, if you look this up in the Hebrew, this is man, as in masculine, and I was asking the Lord about that because I wanted to change the word and say, you know, people, mankind, gals and guys, and, the guy, and God said, no, the heart of man is deep water. And I said, well, then what's the heart of women? He's like, don't ask. Here's the real reason. That, I know that was funny. I'm way, better at, I'm way better at being funny than telling jokes. Ask Ryan. The real reason is because there's a man, there's only a man that can draw it out. And the spirit man on the inside of you, men and women, there's a spirit man on the inside of you. His name is the spirit of Christ. And the spirit of Christ on the inside of you wants to go down into that deep place of who you are and draw out. This is why it really bothers me that people think they can do discipleship. I've been in other churches and they think they can do discipleship by doing a class on Tuesday night for 45 minutes. We have a discipleship class on Tuesday night for 45 minutes, really? You're gonna go into the deep wells of a person's soul in 45 minutes in a classroom with some guide. Who are you kidding? Jesus had to live with 12 guys, and when he was done with them, they were almost ready. One of them didn't make it. A couple of them looked like they weren't going to make it. Praise God for Jesus' prayers. You are deep. Very deep. There is... There is a lifetime of experiences and thoughts that are in you. And the older you get, the deeper you get. Men, listen to me. Married men, listen to me. Your wife is incalculably confusing. I said it. 
And if you think you're going to love her by knowing her in the flesh, by knowing her with your massively huge brain, you're a fool. You will only know her through the Spirit. Only the Spirit of God will help you know your wife. And gals, every time you're like, I don't know why my husband. I bet you somebody does. There's probably a guy that knows why your husband did the thing he did. His name is Jesus. And because we don't ask Jesus and we ask Dr. Phil, we have divorce rates that are going off the charts. Dr. Phil don't know why Steve does what he does. Jesus does. Don't you know Kay prays a lot? There is in the deepness of your soul, God planted purpose. And if you don't drill it out, if you don't well it out, it will never come out. If you're just waiting for that day where you're walking down the road, you're in your mid-20s, and then the lightning of God strikes you, you're like, oh, wham, I'm going to do God's purpose now. Woohoo! You are crazy. That will never, never is a God word. It will never happen. You only find what you seek. And you only have doors open to you that you knock on. That is absolutely true. You can get mad at me. You can send me emails. You can whatever. But I, I, you can't change that. You will not stumble accidentally into your divine destiny. You've got to well this out. Most people do not live on purpose or with purpose, and because of it, they never fulfill their purpose. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, this is a verse that we spent a whole series kind of starting with, which was king and kingdom. But in, in the NLT, it says, seek... And this word seek is in the present imperative. And I know that means a ton to all of you Greek scholars. But what that means is present means now. So you are supposed to do this in the present. Do you know when the present is? When will the present be? If you're awake... If you're drawing breath, if your mind is working, it will always be present. And imperative means really important. So this means above all, which, which is interesting because the verb form of this word literally says what Jesus is saying that he wants the verse to say in one word. This one word seek means you do this every waking moment and you do this most importantly which is opposite of way most people are. Most people are just like on cruise control and they're just like, okay, God, I'm headed down the highway. Let me know if something important comes along. No, you're supposed to be very on purpose every moment of every day because if you're not doing God's purpose, there's other people and other entities out there that will get you into their purpose. Amen, anybody. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Anybody know what all means in the Greek? All. Good church. 
and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. I'm not going to do this. Don't you respond. But I would like to say, raise your hand in this room if you've got everything you need. And likely, we'll get a couple of people that are very self-righteous and they'd raise their hands. Or you'd get that guy that knows the Bible. Well, I got Jesus, so I got everything. Okay, except for those four people that nobody likes. <laughs> Am I wrong? <laughs> except for those four people, the rest of us are like, no, I got needs. There's some stuff in my life I need. Jesus is telling you, do you want your needs fulfilled? Yes, Lord. Well, then do this. Whoa, whoa. Make it simpler. How much more simpler do you need than half a verse? Well, it's hard. Oh, thank God Pastor Steve spent 26 weeks teaching us how to do the hard things and be heroes. Everybody's prepped for this. Amen? Amen. Live righteously, that means, righteously is a word that means in right standing with God, his word, his ways, and his spirit. And you know, you know, you know if you're in right standing with God, his ways, his spirit, and his word. You know if you're not. And nobody can make you, including God. But if you are, and if you do, if you seek this, notice it doesn't say hit this. It says, seek this. Seek to live this way. God's not asking you for perfection. He's asking you for the direction of your heart. You put your direction of your heart on this, and then he, notice, notice the benefit here. It's not you have to do all the perfect things, and then all of the blessings of God pop out like a jack-in-the-box. You do this thing. You seek to live righteous and seek his kingdom first, above all else. And then he does all the infinite things that need to happen to bring the relationships in your life right, to bring your finances right, to bring your health right, to bring your soul right, to bring your emotions. He does all of the hard, heavy lifting. You do the couple of simple things, but you just do them on purpose, with purpose, and keep your focus. In the Amplified, it says, but first and most importantly, seek, aim at, strive after his kingdom and his righteousness, his way of doing and being right, the attitude and character of God. And all these things will be given to you also. One, the reason I like that verse is because when you're doing all those other things, all, those, all the things of this life, the money, the relationships, the, the health, the whatever your thing is. It's amazing how, how they lose importance when you start just doing God's things. You know, when I was 20, I was completely convinced by 25, I was going to be a millionaire. And I got into multi-level marketing and I was doing it and I was I was going to ask Kay. Like, I mean, I was, I was 18 hours a day, all in, seven days a week. I was going to be a millionaire at 25. And then I realized I needed to be a preacher. So I had to, like, take a choice. I'm like, uh, preacher, millionaire. What's better? <laughs> you ever look back on your life and think... <laughs> 
And here I am, however many years, what is that, 30 some years later, and, <laughs> could you just awe me? I'm not that old. No, I, here I am, 20 some years later. I guess I did make myself older. And my desire for money is nowhere near what it was because I found other important things. I did this job. I pastored a church for eight years without having back-to-back -back paychecks. Five years, we didn't get any paychecks. And you couldn't have told me that we weren't at spiritual Disneyland. Because my priorities changed, my wants, my needs, they changed. And God did all the thing in the background or now I get paychecks, praise Jesus. We buy groceries. We don't have to pray for it to show up on our doorstep. We can just go and buy them. <laughs> Look how wealthy we are. God can not only change the circumstances, he can change what created the circumstances. <clears throat> In the TPT, the Passion Translation, it says, so above all, constantly seek God's kingdom. Constantly. And his righteousness and all these less important things. <laughs> less important? You're talking about money. What's more important than that? Uh, the pocket lint in my coat right now? Amen. Then all these less important things will be given to you abundantly. God has no problem with you having abundance. He has a problem with abundance having you. Amen. Amen. This is Jesus' high priestly prayer at the very end of his earthly ministry, just literally hours before he, was, he went into the atonement and he was crucified and brutally beat for all of us so that we could live in his finished work. In this prayer, he said these radical things. Eternal life. And, and, and I, have to, I have to push through this because I could, I could disconnect right here and spend an hour teaching on this subject because most people think that eternal life, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him, they shall have eternal life. Everlasting life. These terms we think is like heaven hell stuff. God bless the Baptists for helping us try to make the whole Bible be heaven and hell. This is not heaven and hell. This is talking about the type, the quality and the quantity of the life that you live. Eternal life doesn't kick in when you die. It kicked in when he died. And you can access it at any stage of this natural earthly life that you choose. Because Jesus defined eternal life as means to know and to experience the only true God. What Jesus is saying, if you truly know him, if you know him in an intimate, experiential way, 
you have right now operating in your life, eternal life. Well, I don't feel like it. There you go with that four-letter cuss word. Feel is not true. I don't care what you feel like. I'm telling you what your creator said. If you know your father and you know him intimately, experientially, you have right now in your life the same eternal life that Jesus Christ himself had. Don't argue with me. Argue with him. And to know and experience Jesus Christ. I had a very, very influential politician the other day called me at 10.30 at night. And he needed me to explain to him what being born again was. <laughs> Needless to say, Kay went to bed without me. And it was awesome. And he knows. And how many of you could take that call? Think about it. That's important. If someone called you and said, what does it mean? What does the Bible mean by? Explain to me being born again. And is it important? We'd all say, yeah, we sang about it. Pastor's always trying to get people there. Why? What is it? How does it happen? How do you get it? It's him. It's Jesus. To know and experience Jesus Christ. Notice it's know and experience the Father and, that's a conjunction, and know and experience Jesus Christ. Oh, preacher, are you saying that Jesus and the Father aren't the same? Yeah? No? They are and they aren't. And if you don't get the the understanding of the divine entanglement, then you're also probably not really up to date on what your covenant of marriage means. There's a divine entanglement that takes place in a covenant of marriage, not a contract of marriage, not a marriage ceremony like the world does. In a covenant of marriage, there's a divine entanglement that takes place, and you used to be two people, and now you're not. Well, that's a cool verse. I love that. Used to be two and now we're one. It's not a verse. It's a spiritual theological statement. Amen. Hallelujah. And know and experience Jesus Christ as the son whom you've sent. I have glorified you on the earth. This is Jesus speaking. By faithfully doing. You know, it doesn't say I have glorified you on the earth by faithfully pretending, by faithfully thinking, by faithfully wanting to do, by faithfully hoping I might eventually do. He knew what he was called to do and did it. I know, when you start hearing messages about doing stuff, people are like, oh, here we go, we're gonna do things. Just tell me how to think, preacher. I mean, that's, that's what I came here for. Okay, you're going to have to do stuff. Amen. Sorry. The enemy's had you doing stuff for years. Might as well do stuff for Jesus. You're going to do something anyway. Might as well do Jesus' stuff. Yeah. Jesus glorified God 
by doing. Amen. This is why you've heard me comment regularly, Kay and I don't tell each other we love each other. Is that because we don't? No, we do. We love each other deeply. We probably love each other more than any married couple in here. That's my opinion. You can argue with me, but I'm not going to agree with you, and we'll both be wrong. I love Kay more than any husband loves a wife, and I don't tell her because I show her. If you show, you don't have to tell. Most of the people that are incessantly telling you how much they love you, it's probably not true that they do. And I'm, I know I'm in deep waters already and people are already thinking about what knife they want to throw at me, but keep it in your pocket. I'll get out in a second. If you have to say it to make the other person believe it, then probably the doing is not congruent with the saying. And I bet you that person would rather have the do than the say. Anybody? Amen? This is what I call the divine destiny. You see it's a triangle with a W in the middle. And the reason it's got a W in the middle some of you that might remember way back when, when you were in geometry or math, a triangle is the strongest geometric shape known to man. Buildings are built on the concept of the triangle because an equilateral triangle, which is what that is, three equal sides, is the strongest thing that you can build a foundation out of. And because of that, I have built this destiny triangle that if you have all three of these legs properly fitted in your life and in the proper proportion, you will build your life on the strongest possible foundation known to man. That's why it's the divine destiny triangle. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 17, it says, look carefully then how you walk. Notice the language, how you walk. <laughs> Most of us are very, more concerned about the where we walk than the how we walk. God's saying, be very concerned about the how. How you walk. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. <laughs> Making the best use of the time. I, I would love to break off right here and do a survey and say, tell me your personal grade of you making the best, godly, divine, righteous living use of your time. Amen. And I'll eventually get a question from somebody, does Candy Crush count? <laughs> you know. This is saying make the best use, be, using your time the best is the difference between wise and unwise. I didn't write it. This is what God says. And it says, because the days are evil. Are the days maybe a little more evil today than when Paul wrote this? 
Amen. I'm, Paul didn't write any of the letters and say, oh, by the way, in kids' church, make sure you teach all the youngins that a boy's a boy and a girl's a girl. They pretty much assumed that back then because it's pretty easy to tell by the plumbing what something is. Any, any farmers in the room? You, I've never had a farmer come up and say, I had, a, I had a cow the other day. Yeah, what was it? Well, I don't know yet. We're waiting for it to decide. I, I would encourage you, go ahead and check, and you can do it that way. Because if you think it's a girl when it's a boy, you're going to get some horns somewhere. You shouldn't get them. <laughs> Try to milk that sucker. You'll find out real quick. <laughs> Therefore, do not be foolish. Now, we went from unwise to foolish, if you're seeing the, dig the, the digression here. Unwise to foolish by not understanding what the will of the Lord is. Okay, let me, let me say this gently. So everybody ready? I think I need a hug. Everybody say, we love you, Pastor Steve. We love you, Pastor Steve. Okay, now I can pull it off. What this verse is saying is that a fool doesn't understand the will of God. You know how many times somebody's come up to me and said, well, I just understand what God's will is. It would be way better if you go say it to someone who's never read this verse. Because then I'm like thinking, oh God, I'm not going to say it. This verse says, if you don't know God's will, and obviously in the application we're talking about, your, God's will for your life, he, call, he calls that, not Steve, I would never say that to you. <laughs> I'm not that stupid. <laughs> he says that's foolish. We'll move on. Romans 8, 28 through 30. Romans 8, 28 is one of the most famous misquoted verses in the whole Bible. We know that God works all things together for good. Yes, I know. You know, Junior died because he got ran over by a train the other day when he was drunk. And so, you know, we just know God's working us together for good, isn't he? God who? You mean God, God? God killed a drunk guy with a train to fulfill his will? What kind of ignorant religious stupidness is this? That is not what this verse says. That's not what this verse says. This verse says, and we know that God works all things together for good. Specifically, for a couple of people who are doing a couple of things. For those who love him. Drunk Junior on the railroad tracks probably wasn't loving God. He was loving Bud Light. That just came right to me. It had to be God. <laughs> Loving God is important for God's will coming to pass in your life. If I make a mistake and I miss it and it would normally cause irreparable damage in my life, I can avoid that 
by legitimately being in a love relationship with God. And for those of you that think that love is the squishy junk that comes out of Hollywood on our screen, that is not the love of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 will define to you what the love of God is. And 1 Corinthians 13 specifically says, love does not rejoice in iniquity. Well, we're just going to love these people. We're going we're gonna to celebrate Pride Month with all the pride people because we're going to celebrate people because that's what love does. No, that's not what love does. Love doesn't help people destroy their lives. And you, I mean, you can, you can go out there and they'll just attack you. If you don't believe me, look at my Facebook. But, but it doesn't change it. Love doesn't rejoice in iniquity. Love's not going to help someone. If, if I know that if I know my daughter is addicted to cocaine, I'm not going to say, well, I really love you and I know you're out of money, so here's some cocaine from daddy. It, this is not complicated. Why does it get complicated as soon as we cross the threshold of the church? Love doesn't help people destroy themselves. Love tells people the truth that brings them into a place where they're free. Jesus said, if you know the truth, the truth will make you free. Love wants people free. False love wants people in bondage. Amen. Sexual dysfunction is bondage. Don't say amen, everybody will know. For those that love God and who are called according to his purpose. So if you want God to take the mistakes and the way that you miss it sometimes in your life and he wants you to, you want him to work all that stuff together for good for you? Here it is. Here's the magic formula. Love him and keep your life on his purpose. I, I know I'm doing all these very complicated things with all these verses that were just like a half a verse figures out an entire massive thing that people have argued about for thousands of years. What's the purpose of life? I don't know. I'm Plato. I can tell you what the purpose of life is. Loving him and doing his purpose. Amen. Solved it. Next. Well, that's not very poetic. Okay. That's not the kind of guy I am. For those God foreknew. These are, this is language about you and I being in the church, the ecclesia, being born again, being sons and daughters of the Most High God. For those who God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Amen. So your number one destiny, before you get to your unique specific destiny, your individual destiny, your general universal destiny is to be conformed to the image of God. So if you're not working on that destiny, obviously God's not going to give you your personal destiny. If you're not working on the big thing, God can't give you the intimate thing. Right. Yep. Amen. Amen. So this is your destiny number one, to be conformed to the image of God. That means every day, every part of your life, you need to be looking for the parts that are trying to be conformed to the world and fight against that so that you can bring your life into conformity to the image of Christ. And if you do that well, then God can work everything together for your good. So the first leg on this equilateral triangle, the W triangle, the destiny triangle, is what? What? Now this is what most people think is their destiny. If I just do my what, I'm doing my destiny. That's one leg of the three. 
If you're just doing your what, you're flat. A one-legged triangle is a line. And that's a lot, of, a lot of people are there. They know they might be doing what they're called to do, but that's not going to build the foundation of you having a successful life, of you having all the benefits of having a fulfilled life. And let me tell you, if there's, if there's something that I wish for all of you, it is to be fulfilled. It's to be fulfilled. There is nothing, there's no feeling, there's no drug, there's no high, there's nothing that compares with having a knowing that you are fulfilling your life. Amen. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you are saved. These are very famous scriptures. I'm sure all of you can quote them. For by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God. Which part? The faith or the grace? Yes. It's a gift of God and it's not of works. Well, hold on. You just said Jesus made God happy by doing everything. Okay, hold on. We're only half a verse in. Not of works, lest any man should boast. You don't get to boast that the things that you accomplished was because you were awesome. Anybody? Okay. If, remember, if Steve was going to build Beloved Church, it would be terrible. Amen. Anybody... Anybody know me? You, you don't know. You want Jesus to build the church. You want Jesus to build your life. You build in your awesome super Lego life. Woohoo! And then it falls over and there's a gajillion pieces that Humpty Dumpty can't put back together again. A self-made man, a self-made woman, woman is a wreck. A wreck, y'all. And if you think that you're going to build your life better than God can, now you're a narcissistic wreck. Amen. Not of works, lest any man should boast, for we are his workmanship. You know, this word workmanship here in the Greek is the word poema, which sounds very familiar to an English word that we use called poem. And that's where we get the English word poem. You are God's poem. And those of you that were sleeping in English class in high school, poem is a unique form of communication. There is tons of labor that goes into a poet writing a legitimate poet, not a guy who wants to get a girl to go to prom with them, so he says, roses are red, violets are blue, please go to prom with me, and you too. <laughs> if God writes a poem, okay, listen, you can go to universities and study, and spend twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 a year and study Shakespeare's poetry, and we've been studying it for hundreds of years. And they're still pulling unique things out of it because it was written in such a way that they're, they are literally amazed by, enamored by the poetry of Shakespeare who was made by God, who's the original poet. 
And if we can spend hundreds of years and tens of thousands of dollars studying Shakespeare's words, and we don't understand that when God wrote us, when he made us the poem of his own hand, that we don't have infinite amounts of value, then we are missing it. God reads you. If God had to choose Shakespeare or you, he reads you. Because you're better. And every time you look in your mirror and you devalue yourself, every time you look at your neighbor, your spouse, your kids, your parents, and you devalue them, you are telling God he's a terrible poet. And what he wrote was not good enough. I would exhort you to not do that. We are his workmanship. He wrote you as a poem unto good works. He wrote you for a reason. It don't just exist. You weren't an accident from your parents in the backseat of their Chevy. You might have been a surprise to your parents, but you were not a surprise to God. You were created unto good works. Good works. You know the word good is a very unique Bible word. Jesus uh, had a man run up to him, a rich young ruler, and he said, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, without a second hesitation, turned to him and said, why do you call me good? And then Jesus said, there's only one that's good, and that's God. What Jesus said to this rich young ruler was, either call me God or don't call me good. And then the rich young ruler, you know what he did? Master, he dropped the good because he wasn't ready to call Jesus God. And he also went away sad. That's what happens when you don't call God good and you don't call good God and you don't call God God. You go away sad. A lot of people go away sad. So when this says it's created unto good works, you could say you were God's poem that he wrote so that you could accomplish God things. Not human things. You know, if I snuck into your bedroom in the middle of the night and I stole the Holy Spirit from you, could you wake up Monday morning and still do the exact same thing you've been doing every Monday morning? And the reality is, most Christians, yeah. You could answer the emails the same way. You could think the same way. You could watch the same stuff. You could go to work and do the same things. You could clock in, clock out. You'd, you wouldn't even know the Holy Spirit left you. Because we barely acknowledge that he's even a part of our life. Amen. Jeremiah 1. I'm going to do this quick because this is a chunk. But if any of you are hip to Jeremiah's life and purpose, he was a prophet. He was called the weeping prophet because he, God ordained him to try to fix a generation, to fix a people, and to fix a nation that was jacked up. Amen. This is really important for us in our time today. And now the word of the Lord came to me saying, the word came and said, if you're following along, this is a, I can't even get there. I, I'm sorry, back up. We're, we're not going to go there. Before I formed you, this is what God said to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Well, that's very poetic. Okay, it's not about poetic. Before you had substance, God had your substance. 
Well, I, didn't, I, I don't feel that way. I don't think that way. Okay, well, I don't know what to tell you. This is what God said. Before you were formed, before an, an egg and a sperm came together and burst your beautiful self into existence, God already knew about you. You, you didn't just show up and he's like, oh, quick, put in all the good stuff and, and a few of the bad things. Before you, were, before you were formed in your womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you and appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now, this is specific to Jeremiah. He was called to be a prophet before he was born. But you were called to be a fill-in-the-blank before you were born. God is no respecter of persons. He didn't do Jeremiah one way and he's going to do you another. Well, Jeremiah was special and so I made him a prophet. But you... You're going to be a person that works in a factory and make widgets for the rest of your life. You're a widget maker. <laughs> mm. I heard that. And then Jeremiah said, Oh, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I'm only a youth. Look, you're not there yet. Maybe you're not in your destiny yet. So then God responded. God said to me, Don't say I'm only a youth. Don't give yourself excuses. Quit telling you why you can't be what God made you to be. I'm only a youth. For to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them. Notice God had to deal with the fear. He had to deal with the insecurity, the lack of identity, and the fear. What are you going to have to deal with? Do not be afraid of them, for I will be with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. You know how you deal with all those things I just said? God's being with you. You know God's with you? Insecurity, identity, and fear are totally dealt with. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up, to break down, to destroy, to overthrow. God wouldn't destroy anything. Hmm. Might want to check your Bible. It's a Babylonian system out there that's trying to destroy your children that God would like to destroy Amen. before they destroy your children. Amen. Amen. And then to build up. Notice you got to tear down before you build up. Some of you need some tearing down. Some of you need a complete overhaul. Someone needs to come in with a bulldozer and on the side of that bulldozer is painted Steve. And he's going, I wish my pastor loved me more. Oh, I love you. Hard hat. What's he doing? The Bible. You might need this whole thing wrecked before you can build. If you try to build something on a faulty foundation, all you're going to do is waste your time, waste your money, waste your effort, because it's going to fall down the next time the storm comes along. Amen. That's what Jesus said. So finding your what. So hearing this, you might be convinced. Some of you not yet. But you might be convinced, okay, I'm there. I need to do my what. I realize, I see it. God has created me for a what. He made me for a purpose. He already preordained it. He gave me the power, the grace, the ability, the wisdom to be the what that he created me. So now how do I find my what? Hebrews 1, 9, this is speaking about Jesus. 
For thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, every time you see the word therefore, you should look and see why it's therefore. Therefore, God, even your God, has anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. The reason that Jesus fulfilled his life in joy was therefore. So if you back up, I can tell you what your therefore is. Loving, righteousness, hating, iniquity. Your purpose is smack dab in between what you love and what you hate. And I know you don't hear a lot of messages about hating things, but we're supposed to hate some stuff. Not people. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness. And some Christians have been so lovingly taken care of by their religious leaders that they don't hate anything. I got news for you. You should be hating some stuff. If you don't hate the fact that children are being sex trafficked across our borders and paid for by the government to do it, if that don't bother you, you're dead. You're dead. And we need to revive you because that should bother you. Somewhere between what you hate and what you love is your destiny. And there's people, and, and God built you each uniquely and individually. Some of you love things I don't even care about. And some of you hate things that I don't hate. And that's okay. God wanted it to be that way because he didn't want us all to hate and love the same things. Otherwise, we'd all be doing the same things. He wanted you uniquely to have the passion in your life to do the thing. Your destiny is somewhere in between what you love and you hate. Matthew 8, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, how do you find out what you love and you hate? You start doing the Great Commission. This isn't the Great Omission, this is the Great Commission. You should be doing it. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. You can't give away what you don't have. <laughs> this is why many people shy away from discipleship for themselves and being making disciples. Because they don't have nothing to offer. Get something to offer and start giving it away. Teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you. Just like he told Jeremiah. This is literally a parallel statement. You can do all this stuff because I'm going to be with you. Oh, well, thank God you're with me because I wouldn't be able to do it without you. Yeah, I know. He knew that, so he went with you. So your do, your what of your triangle, is your destiny is somewhere between what you love and what you hate, and the way you're going to find out what that specifically is is by you doing the Great Commission every day of your life. And you will run smack dab into your what. And then the next thing is where. Many people didn't even know this was part of the triangle. Where? What does that matter? Because if you're doing what you're called to do and you're doing it in the wrong place. Right. <sighs> you know, there's a very unique process that's required for, that had to be interacted with for Kay and I to have two children. I'm, I'm doing this. I'm trying to keep the staff happy. 
What if both of us would have been doing the same process, but we just wouldn't have been at the same where? Would we have had Hannah and Gunner? Well, why not? Is God mean to Stephen Kay? We got to be where? You doing what you're called to do and out of place, you actually cause problems for God. You know how many people have showed up at this church and, and they've told me, God sent me over here to this church and here's what I'm going to do for this church. Oh, dear Jesus. <laughs> Say it ain't so, Lord. It ain't so. <laughs> you have got to be where God has called you. And if you don't know, that goes back to the first part of this, you need to know God's will. And I think it's really, this is where I'm, going to be careful because I'm not doing a, a commercial for Beloved Church because if you're not called to be here, get out. Please don't treat people that way. People are not used cars where you drive them around for a while and you see whether they fit or not. That is terrible. People are more precious than that. If you are not called to be here, get out. If you don't know if you're called to be here, well then hang out until you find out. Because we'll give you some good stuff while you figure it out. And then you might figure it out that you're supposed to be here. And then you're where you're called to be. Amen. And it's beautiful. If you follow the thread of the things that the Holy Spirit did today with Jess, being where she was called to be, there is nothing like knowing you're where you're supposed to be. Hebrews 11, 8, 9, by faith Abraham, the father of our faith, obeyed. There's a cuss word in Christianity. <laughs> Don't say that word, preacher. Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place where he was to receive as an inheritance. You know, he had to leave the place that he was in to go be in the place that he was supposed to be. <laughs> hey, 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 amen? Everybody follow that? He was in the wrong place. Well, if God was God, why couldn't God just send his destiny to Abraham there? Because he wasn't where he needed to be. That wasn't the promised land. Abraham had to go to the promised land. It was an actual place. He had to go to the place. He had to be where he was called to be in order to fulfill what he was called to do. And he went out not knowing where he was going. That's how I feel, preacher. Okay. You know, it's easier. Let's say that you were a gajillion ton ship and you had all of the promises of God in you and all the wealth of God in you. And you were a ship and you were the solution to the entire country of Tanzania. You had everything that Tanzania needed on the inside of you. You're like, all right, I got everything I need, and I'm a ship, and I can do it. And you were in the harbor. You do nobody any good. God can't even turn you, because you're not doing anything. You know, if you were headed the wrong way, if you were headed to the North Pole, at least God could come and he could take your rudder and he could bend you. You might, it might take you longer to get to Tanzania than you were supposed to, but eventually if you let God have the rudder, you'll get there. 
But you have to be moving. You have to be headed a direction. Even if it's the wrong direction, go somewhere. And then God can keep you in the right place where you need to go. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him to the same promise. What if God says, hey, I need you to go and do something, and it's going to be uncomfortable, like living in a tent. Whoa, whoa, whoa. If God tells you to do something, it's going to be mansions and big cars and lots of, really? Maybe sometimes it's really uncomfortable. Maybe sometimes he's going to use you to bring benefit to other people's lives, and it's not all about you. I know. That's, that's very unpopular today, but maybe Christianity is not all about you. Maybe it's, you're the one that really matters. Amen. And maybe you don't matter as much as Christ matters, and so you accomplishing what he needs done may be more important than what your little needs are. Amen. We'll move on. 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 3 and 4. This is a place called there. If you've never heard Andrew Womack's message on a place called there, I'm not going to synopsize it in 38 seconds and make it sound good. Go listen to Andrew. He's way better preacher than I am. These verses say, leave here, turn eastward, and hide yourself by the brook Chiroth, east of the Jordan, and you will drink from the brook that I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. God told birds to take provision to a there. You know, Elijah could have not been there and could have whined to God about the lack of provision. God, why don't you ever provide for me? Why don't you ever heal me? You heal everybody else. Why don't you heal me? Well, your healing's right there. I don't want to go there. <laughs> well, now we have a problem. Because I got birds dropping off stuff over there. And you're being a brat. Maybe you should go there. Well, I don't like it over there. That's not the kind of place I want to live. And I don't like the Brook Chiroth. It smells. <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry that you feel such a way. That's where the provision is. Amen. I told you Andrew's way better at it than me. I'll move on. <laughs> the third leg of the equilateral triangle that builds the strongest foundation you'll ever have in your destiny, in your life, is whom? You know, you could be doing what you're called to do. You could be doing it where you're called to do it. But if you are not in covenant with the people that you're called to be in covenant with, you are alone. Alone. God said the only thing in all of creation that he made that was not good was Adam being alone. And there are many alone people in the body of Christ. You got the braggadocious kind, the narcissistic ones, the pride ones who got their masks on and they're running around like Lone Ranger. Hi-ho, silver, away, me and me all by myself, alone. I'm going to go out and fix the whole world. And then you watch the TV show and you found out that Tonto... For those of you that know about the Lone Ranger and Tonto, Tonto was way cooler than the Lone Ranger. If it wasn't for Tonto, Lone Ranger would have been dead white boy. Tonto kept Lone Ranger alive. 
And this, these Christians that are out there, Lone Ranger in it, in their pride, they don't realize that a bunch of us are praying for you and we're watching your back and we're keeping you alive. You need to be in covenant. You can go faster if you go alone. But if you go with a team, when you get there, you can actually accomplish something. And a lot of people would rather just have faster. Well, I can do it by myself. Th these are micromanagers that all of you hate. All of you hate it. I hate micromanagers. I've let my job. I got a micromanager. You know why he's a micromanager? Because he believes that he can do it by himself better than you can do it. And then you do it that way. Well, I'm just going to do this this way. Stand back, honey. I'll show you how to do this. Ah, bail me out. You've got to be with whom you're called to be with. Ruth chapter 1, this is, I can read these verses without tearing up. Sorry, it's squishied. These are some of the most radically impacting verses in all the Bible to me. I built my life on covenant. And these are some of the strongest covenant words in the entire Bible. If you know the story of, of Ruth, it would make it much better. If you don't know the story, please go and read it. Ruth says to her mother-in-law, do not urge me to leave. Do not urge me to leave you or to turn from following you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me, and ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. Ruth was in the lineage of Jesus Christ. There's only four women in the lineage of Jesus Christ, and Ruth is one of them. My opinion is this statement. Ruth was more committed to Naomi than many people that call themselves born-again, spirit-filled Christians are committed to their spouses. And she was not born-again and not spirit-filled. And that's a shame. This is covenant language. And because of this, Ruth fulfilled her destiny. Naomi fulfilled her destiny. They were both in poverty. They ended up in wealth. And then Ruth was the great-grandmother of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David. David was the greatest king of Israel. And David was also the namesake of our Messiah, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Because Ruth was this committed to whom she was called to be with, you and I sit here today. Right. Whom you're called to be with. Covenant language. So what's your action and response to all this? Divine direction from intimacy mixed with humble submission creates true choice. You have a choice to make today.
I pray you choose right. Choice exercised through discipline creates habit. If you want to make the right habits in your life, then you should discipline yourself to God's ways and do it again and again. And eventually at some point, righteousness will come as normal to you as sin used to. Daily divine habits form direction. I can go follow you around tomorrow and watch your habits and I can tell you where you're going to go. And you might think I'm judgmental and I'm preacher mean. Okay. You think the way you think, I'll think the way we are and we'll meet each other in 10 years and find out. Do you want me and Kay to show you the thousands of people that we know from 10 years ago? Disciplined direction determines destination. That's up to you. Colossians 3, 23 and 24, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men. I don't care if you please me. I'm not preaching this so you make me happy. I'm preaching this because I want to make him happy. And the way he's going to be happy is by you living your life this way. I've lived my life to please Jesus Christ and him alone. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You know the authentic Christian life has built into it rewards? God wants you to be rewarded. But he gets to determine the rewards, not you. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. Now. Anybody know what now means? Now. We, we came to the, this is the, the volcanic reaction of all this truth seeping into your heart, mingling with the water that's in you, ready to make an explosion. Now. May the God of peace, he's going to lead you by peace. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, your whole soul, and your whole body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. Blameless is different than sinless. God knows you're going to miss it. But he took your blame. <coughs> he, Jesus, who calls you, is faithful. You choose today that this is going to be your direction, that this is the way you're going to head, and he will make sure you get there. greatest navigator ever. And then, just to make sure nobody argues with him, he will surely, surely do it. If you are not in this place, if you know for a fact that you are not in this place of life, I want to pray for you. It's going to take humility, submission, Authenticity, 
You're going to have to get over the fear of man of everybody looking around the room and seeing that you're one of the ones that's responding. But if you can't get over that, you're never going to get in your destiny anyway. By you acknowledging this, it's not saying that everything you've done up to this point and everything you're doing right now is wrong. You just don't have all three of these parts in your triangle building the foundations that you need in your life. And I'm going to pray for you. And God is going to stir up the grace that's in your life. And you're going to be able to make these changes with his power and by his grace. And the end result of your life is going to be fulfilled. So if that's you, I want you to raise your hand. I am not going to pray for the people that don't raise their hand. You're not going to be able to bootleg this prayer. You're going to have to ask for it, desire it very specifically in your life. Remember, you don't find things you're not seeking for. Doors don't open that aren't knocked on. And just because someone doesn't raise their hand doesn't mean that they don't care about this. They could be actually doing it. There's a few people that actually are in the destiny that God has created for them to be. But if you know that you're not, if one of these three or if all of these three legs are not in position in your life, then today the Holy Spirit is making this available to you. Father, you see these hearts as acknowledged by these hands. And I pray only and specifically for those folks that are acknowledging that they desire that you help bring these things into their lives. That you put them on your purpose so that they can do what you created them to do. They can be where you created them to be doing it and they're going to be in relationship and in covenant with those people that you've called them to be with. And you promised us, you promised us, Father, in your word, that you would be faithful and surely you would do these things. And so I pray for these hearts and these hands that you are right now dispensing the grace and stirring up the gifts that are on the inside of them for them to accomplish their divine destiny. And I pray and I ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our risen Lord. Amen. All right, please rise. I would like to bless you. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of his life-changing word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the Beloved Family of God and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. I pray, I declare that above all things, 
that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health prospering your body and all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul your mind your will your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the father desires for you to have we love you and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.